What's up, everybody? My name is BJ Skoog, and my wife Lexi and I are um, a part of the Table community, the Table family. I'm honored to be able to share with you today. In the past, when I've been asked to uh, participate in the services at the Table, it's usually been because Matt has asked me, and he's given me a day or two notice before a Sunday night, or before he has a video that he needs to uh, get done, and he's asking me to write a spoken word or some poetry to contribute to the video or to worship. And uh, I love being able to do that. And um, this time he asked me if I'd write a message or give a message. And uh, I thought about it. He gave me a little more time. He gave me, you know, a month and a half maybe. And um, I thought about it for about a week. And then I hit him up and I said, nope, I'm good. I am good. Uh, and yet here I am. Here I am today. Um, so obviously, I changed my mind, and um, that came after some encouragement from Matt, as well as another friend and mentor of mine. And as you'll hear in just a bit, um, this has kind of been a hard season for me, as I'm sure it has been for many of you who are watching right now. And because of how I've been feeling, I, I told Matt, um, I feel like I'm more in a place where maybe I need to be ministered to than ministering to others. Um, but after giving it more thought and some prayer and some conversation with some trusted individuals in my life, um, I decided that maybe sharing a bit about where I'm at and being raw and transparent about the rough edges of myself right now, um, maybe that'll help remind some of you that you're not alone. So to kick it off, let's, let's do a little recap about where we've come from in the series that we're currently in called I Wish Someone Had Told Me. So Matt kicked off the, the, the series stealing a little bit of uh, Tupac's famous line, the rose that grew from concrete, and he uh, put a little remix on it, a little biblical spin on it. He spoke about Jesus as the Lord of the land of the thorns, and he gave witness to the roses and the thorns that we experience in life. He walked us through the beginning of our creation story, and the beauty and the poetry and the rhythm and the connectivity that's all wrapped up in this ancient text. Then following that, Maggie shared a part of her story with us. And she spoke about her journey, her origins, her view of God as being distant and constantly evaluating her performance. She gave us images of water to hold on to when we consider our faith and our religion. And we heard about the living water that Jesus offered the woman at the well in John 4, the same living water that he offers us still today. She reminded us that Jesus loves us just as we are and that we do not need to fear the process of learning that maybe we are wrong sometimes, that God is writing us a new story and that we need to move forward with the knowledge that we have always been loved from the very beginning. And finally, last week, Debbie and Lynn shared about how they have so often been flying through life, working hard to do the right thing, to do good things, but then because of that, they missed the beauty and the lessons and the people and the situations that were right in front of them in the present moment. They reminded us that the busy life that we're so often so proud of having is not necessarily the full life that God desires for us. It's easy to show up with our bodies, but not with our souls. Walking through life, head down, half asleep, thinking that we're fulfilling our purpose, 
but missing the sacred moments right in front of us. And so tonight, as we wrap up this series, we're recording on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, a day that is usually filled with time with family, maybe an annual Friendsgiving tradition, but a day that I'm sure looked very different for many of you this year. For Lex and I, we've been quarantining with my sister and her husband for the last week so that we can be with them and get to see my parents who we spend a fair amount of time with pretty regularly. But my grandma and my aunt, um, they'll be playing it safe this year and they will be alone on Thanksgiving. It's a very different year. And for us, for my family, it's um, different in another way too because this is the first holiday that uh, we will be experiencing since my grandma passed on my dad's side um, last month, early October. My grandma's name was Ethel and being close to her was like being in the presence of a saint. I like to say that she was the best of us. She was almost 92 when she passed, so she lived a long, good life, but still her absence leaves a gap that will be hard, if not impossible, to fill for our family. Now, my grandma and I had been close ever since I was a little kid. When my sister and I were young, uh, she would come and babysit us every day while my mom and my dad went to work. And we'd play games and we'd go for walks and we'd have snacks and tell stories. But I remember this one specific thing, that she always loved to go to the airport and watch planes take off and land. Now, back then, you could just walk into the airport and hang out and you didn't have to worry about being considered suspicious. You could go and walk right up and greet your friends and family as they got off the plane. And uh, for all you youngins out there, you don't know what that's like and you never will, but it was pretty crazy. It was pretty crazy. But my grandma loved watching planes take off and planes land. And so fast forward to about a year, year and a half ago, before COVID, before the pandemic, and I decided that I wanted to go and visit my grandma. And at this time, she was living in an assisted living um, facility in St. Paul. And so I go and I pick her up and I decide that we're gonna go on a field trip. She has a, a fair amount of energy that day and so I have an idea. So we hopped in the car and, or I, I helped her, I helped her into the car very gently. And um, we, we drove to this viewing area at MSP Airport where you can park your car and you can watch the planes. You can watch as they take off and as they land. And we sat there in the car and we chatted for a while and we commented on the size of the planes, how big or small they were, watched as they would speed up and take off and begin to fly, gradually lifting into the air or kind of holding our breath a little bit every time a plane came down and was about to land, even though we know, you know, they'll be safe. They all landed smoothly and skidded to a halt. But I always kind of wondered, why was it that my grandma found so much joy in watching planes? I didn't really understand it. You know, growing up in Richfield, there were always planes flying over my house. We were 10 minutes from the airport. The baseball fields that I grew up playing on are now currently runways. So it didn't seem like a big deal to me. But as I began to think about it, it kind of made sense. I mean, my grandma 
was born in the 20s with a huge family, not much money, living in northern Minnesota. So I bet the first time she was on a plane, it was probably like magic. Maybe even seeing them just stirred something in her. And I actually kind of get it. I think it makes sense. Because when I look up and I see a plane flying over me now, I do wonder, where is that plane going? Where is it coming from? What are the stories of all the people that are sitting in those seats? There's some sort of adventure attached to the whole thing, the whole image of a plane. It's like this big symbol representing a journey beginning or a journey coming to an end. Taking off, leaving home, landing in a distant space, a new place. Or returning, returning home to what is familiar after some time away. And lately I've been craving that feeling of adventure. Because lately I've been feeling stuck. Not just stuck at home, but stuck in my head. Stuck in a swirling of emotions. Stuck in habits and patterns of behaviors that I know I should break, but do I really want to because they're helping me cope with the frustration and the disappointment and the anger and the bitterness, all the other emotions that have been filling this season. I'm craving an escape. I'm longing for an adventure. I'm searching for a sense of purpose. And I know I'm not alone in these thoughts and feelings. And that's why I'm not scared to admit them to you now. Because I know so many of you are, experience, are experiencing the same thing. I see a counselor a couple times a month. And this past August, some things came to a head and I had a couple anxiety attacks. And my counselor suggested that maybe I look into getting on some medication. So I started the process of getting prescribed some antidepressant, anti-anxiety meds. And to start that process, I had to call a doctor. And so I called the doctor and I tell them what's happening. And it was like, as soon as I told them the situation, they're like, oh, oh yeah, that's happening to a lot of people right now. It was just like the norm. My situation was not surprising to them. So much of the world, they said, is operating on this heightened level of anxiety, a new normalized anxiety. So even from that call to the doctor, I was reminded of something, that I'm not alone. So to bring it back to this sermon series, as I thought about what I wanted to share, all these raw emotions from the past few months came flooding to the forefront of my mind. And I thought that maybe there's something in here that people need to hear so that they remember that they're not alone. There are two specific phrases that came to mind when I thought of the prompt at the core of this sermon series. First, I wish someone had told me that we never fully arrive and that that's okay and that's the point. That's the beauty. That's where our purpose is found where meaning and significance are shared, where love is discovered and developed, where family and friendships are created. That's how we keep evolving and growing and honing in our gifts and our talents. 
This is what gives us a chance to ultimately contribute something good to this world. Because life isn't one big long season of spring and summer. It involves some long seasons of fall and winter when things are dying or dead instead of budding and flourishing. We never fully arrive. It's the constant cycle. The journey of life continues. But I think many of us are guilty of thinking that we just need to make it to that next phase in life, that next thing, that next season, make it to tomorrow, and then we'll have our stuff figured out. When I was 16, I needed to get my license. When I was 18, I needed to graduate from high school. Then I needed to go to college. I needed to get a job. I needed to make some money. I needed to find a partner. Now it's time to have kids. Now it's time to retire. Or for me right now, I just need to buy a home. Then I'll be happy. See, the list and the stages of life go on and on and on. For some reason, I used to think that when I was 25, I'd have life figure out. I'd be coasting. Now I'm 31. I'm making an average salary at a job that I'm not super passionate about. I'm living in the basement of my in-law's house. I'm seeing a counselor regularly and on medications to help with depression and anxiety. I mean, I, I'm often angry and sad and lost and I feel stuck and I feel hopeless sometimes. I don't have it figured out. Proverbs 12:25 says this, anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. How many of us just need to hear a kind, encouraging, empathetic word in the, in the midst of this season? I know I do. So I want to read one here. In John 16, Jesus is speaking his, to his disciples and he's trying to explain to them what is about to happen to him. And they're still pretty clueless. But he comes to this point where he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Have peace, take heart, I have overcome. Those are kind words to a weary soul, a tired mind and an anxious heart. And I want you to hear these kind words as well try to believe and accept them for yourself. These words here, there is hope in the midst of your hopelessness. There is faith in the midst of your fear. There is an evolving in the midst of evidence that makes you feel otherwise. There is beauty in the midst of brokenness. There is worth in the midst of what feels like waste. There is joy in jumbled thoughts. There is love found in the midst of loss. There is room for you and me even when we've run away. And there are precious lessons to be learned in the midst of pain. I wish someone had told me that we never fully arrive and that that's okay. That's the beauty of the whole thing. That's what makes life worth living. The second thing I wish someone had told me is wrapped up in two words, as yourself. In Matthew 22, 
verses 34 through 39, Jesus is being questioned by some Pharisees. They're trying to trick him, and one of them is an expert in the law, and he asks, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replies saying, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Then he continues, and he says, This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I can't tell you how many times I heard that verse growing up. But it wasn't until probably college when I really started to think critically about those last two words, as yourself. If we want to love our neighbors, if we want to love God with our heart and mind and soul and honor him with this life that we've been given, then we have to have love for ourselves. I know from experience, you can fake it for a while. But if you don't love yourself and you keep trying to give love away to others, you will eventually be walking around like a zombie. You can't keep it up, you will burn out. Or you'll give up on your faith, or your hope, or love, or even on life. I think we all know people who have reached this point, and maybe you are at that point right now. What's ironic about this idea is that I grew up in a very loving home. I was affirmed and encouraged by my parents and teachers and mentors and coaches, and I know they told me throughout that time growing up to believe in myself. But isn't that kind of how it goes? Sometimes people tell us the very truth we need to hear, but we're not ready to hear it. We're not ready to accept it. We resist the truth even though it's the very thing that we so desperately are craving, the very thing we need to cling to. But this isn't anything new. Think about the disciples. It isn't until Jesus has died, then resurrected, and then appeared to them, showing, showing them his wounds, his scars, that they kind of finally start to get it. Jesus had told them who he was and what would happen to him, but they just weren't ready to really hear it. Now, that doesn't mean that all that time they spent with Jesus before then was wasted. No. All those moments leading up to that point in time helped prepare them for that moment, which helped prepare them for the next moment and the moment to come and the one after that. It all helped prepare them for the future that was awaiting them. None of it was wasted because we never fully arrive. And that's where these two ideas begin to collide. If we don't love ourselves, then it's hard to believe in the goodness and gift of each moment and in the lessons that can be learned. The ups and downs, the highs and lows, they're all a part of it. We have all experienced some sort of brokenness or pain or disappointment. We all have unique scars. And those wounds represent moments when our character and our faith and our foundation and our love has been tested and hopefully ultimately built stronger. And I don't know what those scars look like for each one of you. I don't know what you've experienced throughout your life. But for me, I've experienced the confusion of young heartbreak. I've experienced the frustration and bitterness that results from poor leadership both inside and outside of the church. 
I've experienced a disappointment in discovering that someone I trusted was not the rock of integrity that I thought they were and that I needed them to be. I've experienced the feeling of losing a calling and a sense of purpose that I thought was going to be a lifetime pursuit. I've experienced the animosity and resentment that comes from loved ones not seeing eye to eye. I've experienced betrayal, feeling stabbed in the back by those who said they would support me, who said they would have my back. I've experienced feeling stuck and hopeless. I've experienced panic attacks. I've experienced the crippling hollowness, hollowness of depression. I've experienced the death of family and death of friends. I've experienced dark thoughts, considering if life is even worth it. I have questioned everything about myself, how I grew up, what I stand for, who I want to surround myself with, and through it all, God's love for me and belief in my goodness hasn't changed and hasn't wavered. I know that is true. I know it's true for me, and I know it's true for you. But the thing is, I don't always believe it deep down. I don't always feel it. So I have to daily choose it. Choose to remind myself that I have purpose. I'm here for a reason. The good and the bad, the joys and the pain, they're all a beautiful part of the process because we never fully arrive. But as we make our way through this challenging yet wonderful life, I hope that we can strive to love ourselves as we fall, as we rise, and as we grow. So I wanna wrap up with this verse as a visual and a metaphor that I hope strikes a chord with some of you. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now in the Greek, the word handiwork, or in some translations it says masterpiece or craftsmanship, in the Greek that word is poema, meaning poem. We are God's poem. See, after my grandma died last month, I went back to that spot where you can watch the planes take off and land. And I sat in my car for a long time and I wrote a poem about her and about us. And that poem includes moments of celebration and moments of despair. It's a glimpse into our relationship and our bond. It's a summary of life. Part of the beauty of poetry is that it can powerfully illustrate a full story of both love and loss. Happiness, sadness, confusion, anger, pain, celebration, joy, and excitement. The fullness of life all wrapped up in those words and those sentences and those stanzas. That's poetry. And you are God's poem. So if you remember nothing else, please hear this. Be gentle with yourself as you move through life. Embracing the reality that we never fully arrive but are always evolving and growing, even when we feel like we've taken a thousand steps backward. God is crafting a beautiful story, a beautiful poem out of your life. He loves you where you're at. And if God can love you there, why not love yourself? So with that, I wanna thank you for listening tonight as I've shared my thoughts 
and shared a little bit of my story. My prayer is that someone somewhere has heard something that sparked a new thought or a sense of hope. You are not alone, my friends. You are not alone, family. Let's keep moving together forward. Much love. Thanks, BJ. I love, love, love that message. I love the reminder that we never fully arrive, that we're on this journey, this journey where we, we gather rough spots, that we gain a lot of scars. But a part of all those things is it does make life beautiful and full. And then the other part of your message, that the words you use as yourself, to love yourself and the importance of that and how hard that is to do in our lives. And that Jesus tells us that life will be hard. But guess what? Take heart. Have peace. Because I'm here. And when we gather at this table on Sunday nights, this table of truth, we take bread and we dip it into the cup and we come together and we remember that truth. We remember that we are loved. We are the beloved of God. Another beautiful thing about this time together is that there's no pretending that we've arrived, that there's some standard to come to this table. We come as we are. We come together. We link arms. We remember the love of a God who that the night before he was betrayed, he sat at a table with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. And he took the cup and after pouring wine into the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you. The new covenant, when you drink from this cup, remember me. And so that's what we do. We take the bread and we dip it into the cup and we remember that we are God's beloved, that we are loved as we are, that we haven't arrived, we won't arrive, not on this side of eternity. That's good news, friends. So as you take your bread and you dip it into your cup, remember these words. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And now together, let's pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's worship together.